Söring and Simon. Hi, this is Jens, and sitting across from me is Dominic Simon, musician, singer, and psychology student here in Germany. In Germany, he's a bit of a star. He was on the German equivalent of America's Got Talent and made it to the semifinals. And next to me sits Jens Söring. Just like me, he used to play in a band. He played guitar in a band. He also studied psychology, but then he got involved in a crime and he sat in prison for 33 years. And as I said, you were in a band. I am still in a band. And I think music is a topic that we both have a lot to say about. And therefore, I think today we should talk about that. That's a wonderful idea. Uh, music was indeed um, a really huge part of my life for the last 57 years. <laughs> and of course, you're only 24. But um, um, I think we would all like to hear, how did you start into the music industry? Um, how did you make it? To, uh, how did you get so far? How did you become such a big success in such a short time? Well, it started um, quite early. So um, when I was in elementary school, my teachers told me to learn some kind of instrument because I was um, I was always a little bit um, loud and always uh, not not that much interested in the usual stuff they taught me. And therefore, um, they told my parents and me, why don't you play the drums and why don't you uh, get drum lessons so you can um, get kind of a... Um, Work out your energy and yeah, exactly. get yeah, all your, all your In a ADHD way. tendencies. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I do have them, yes. Um, so we thought that would be a great idea. So I took drum lessons for six, seven, eight years. Um, my brother, who was older than me... Um, started to play the guitar and he got lessons in guitar. And um, later when I found out that you can't bring your drums to um, girls' houses and to parties and stuff and you can't uh, show everybody that you can play drums, I started to learn the guitar because the guitar seemed to be um, the instrument that you can yeah, bring with you everywhere, but also that allows you to be a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more romantic. And yeah, so, so you started playing guitar really to get the girls. Well, it was part of it. The other part was it um, was that I was uh, very um, into the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I was driving in my car, and not, not in my car, but in my brother's car, and um, they were on the radio. And I asked my brother who this band was, and he told me it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I really fell in love with them, and I even read the biography of uh, Anthony Kiedis, which is in English, and I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, but I really wanted to know everything about them, and so I read it. And I became a huge fan, and I started playing their songs and singing along to it. And um, I did that for six, seven years on my couch. I never had um, a teacher. Um, I had my brother who played the guitar and he showed me like the basics but most um most mostly I learned with YouTube tutorials and um the tabs on the internet with the guitar tabs and yeah just um by that I learned playing guitar and singing that's really funny there's a there's a several points of contact here between us which are quite interesting um I was in two high school bands decades ago um, in America, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, they're called Ground Zero and The Skank. And in both bands, it was particularly the drummers that um, I felt most, yeah, I, th I thought, yeah, the, the, the guys that I really got along with best in both bands were the drummers. And uh, it's funny that you started off as a drummer. So that's a, that's a point of contact there. And of course, I played guitar. Um, and unlike you, it was really, you know, I was a nerd in high school and uh, I desperately wanted to stop being a nerd and I, I wanted, you know, I wanted a girlfriend. So I thought, mm -hmm. what the heck, I'll start playing guitar and join a band. Didn't work at all, uh -huh. just didn't work, but um, we had a lot of fun. And of course, I also learned electric guitar myself without a teacher, but back then there was no internet. Um, basically, you had to learn from books and uh, that's, it's uh, an experimenting. 
And, and it's, it's interesting that nowadays uh, teenagers have the internet, they have YouTube tutorials to, to learn uh, chords and stuff uh, and runs. Um, yeah, uh, the difference in ages and in, in, in t technological levels and uh, uh, experiences. And then at some stage um, you transitioned from playing on your sofa at home to actually performing gigs at your school. Exactly. So it started at some point, um, my German teacher, so she was teaching us um, about, I don't know, the culture and about poems and stuff. So she was responsible for the um, graduation ceremony in a way. And she um, wanted to have a band out of um, students. And so she asked me because she knew that I was singing and uh, playing the guitar if I had a band and I didn't have one. So I formed one with um, fellow students and um, we were called, we, we didn't have a name for very long. Um, and at some point there was a deadline where we had to tell them our name. And so we came up with um, leave or die, <laughs> <laughs> which was... That's uh, rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, we didn't make, we, we didn't play heavy metal or heavy stuff, but the name was very um, dark. Yes, very, yes, it was. Very crazy. Uh, yeah, so that was probably my first um, my first real band I formed. And then later and that on... that was for the graduation ceremony yeah, at exactly. high school. Yeah. So we only had one or two gigs, so it wasn't um, such a long band history. But later on, I, yeah, I, I started playing at different... Um, occasions and um at some point i found a, a real band like like a new band um called baltique right exactly like because you live in kiel which is a city in northern germany which is on the baltic sea yeah. and uh the, your name your band is called baltique with q u e at the end exactly right? we, we we came up with it we we thought something with baltic would be nice in our band name but it would be not unique at all and so we thought about a way to make it more unique. And I don't know if you know the meme, but there is a meme of Winnie the Pooh um, who is sitting in a chair and then um, it, it's, he, he starts getting more and more fancy. And it's, the, the last picture is him sitting there in a suit and with a mustache and um, he's very very fine man. And then you say like, Baltique. <laughs> and so we, we thought that would, this would be funny. And so we named our band Baltique. Um, Actually, years after that, uh, like three or four years uh, later, a French guy joined our band, and from then it, it made sense. Yeah, but so okay, I, I formed the band, or we we we, uh, we found each other, we started playing, um, and at some point, um, COVID hit, and um, there was the big lockdown, and it wasn't possible for us to play anymore, to rehearse anymore, and so um, I started to come back to my sofa and um, record my own stuff on my laptop and I started um, recording an EP and after I recorded it and uh, released it I, I thought maybe I should promote it and I did so by covering songs on my Instagram channels and yeah like I said in the first episode of this podcast um, some television um production founded and they thought I would be a great um, cast for their show Battle of the Bands and that's where you told us about how they uh, locked you into that luxury hotel yeah my prison for five days <laughs> right and you weren't allowed to speak to anybody not even to the other guests in the rooms next door and uh, this was all because they were afraid the virus would spread and the whole production would shut down so you were you you got a little taste of the penitentiary yes in cologne germany yeah, in a luxury but, but, hotel but, yeah but i also got a taste of um the life as a musician like being in a hotel room and uh being able to order anything you want and um ordering i thought i think i said it in the first episode i ordered uh on my last day i ordered uh um, capacho and a shrimp salad i think um which was very delicious and that's uh, ironic because, of course, shrimp salad actually plays a role in this case. Um, at the time that uh, the murders of Derek and Nancy Hasem took place, I was 
in Washington, D.C., in a hotel room and um, creating an alibi for my then-girlfriend, Elizabeth Hazen, uh, for something else. But in any case, I actually ordered shrimp salad Mm -hmm. um, um, at the very time this horrible thing was happening hundreds of miles away. And it was shrimp salad, just like you. (laughs) Um, I ordered shrimp salad and Welsh rabbit, which is is like toast with cheese on top. It was Mm -hmm. the two cheapest things they had. And that's why the bill was only $33. This was a Marriott hotel. And um, um, yeah, but um, so you're not the only person who's ordered shrimp salad in a hotel yeah, room <laughs> under very different <laughs> circumstances. Very different, very different circumstances. Yeah. And uh, Battle, of the Bands, Battle of the Bands was not a big success on German television. No, no it wasn't. It, um, the show was canceled very early. Um, it wasn't even broadcasted on the television. It was only in the online um, our, on the, on the online, yeah, yeah, on the on the website somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, okay. You could only find it on the website. Um, but after that, um, the other show, the um, German, it's the German Idol. equivalent of America's Got Talent, yeah. uh, where you, yeah, you got pretty far. You yeah, got, I got to, the, to semifinals. the semifinals, right? Which I, I I didn't plan to do so. It wasn't my goal. My goal was to get a free vacation because uh, at some stage of the show, you. Um, you go on a vacation with the whole cast, and you. We went to Italy, and um, just I, th- I think we spent ten days there, just in the hot sun. We got everything we need. So they. Um, I actually saw the video because it's available online here in Germany. And it, first of all, that part of Italy looks absolutely gorgeous. But I also saw your performance, and uh, which song? Um, I don't remember the name of the song. I saw it at mutual friends' house, um, uh, but yeah, I, I remember being really impressed mm-hmm. um, with your stage presence. Was it summer of '69? Yes, yeah. yes, it was. It was yes, very it was. cool. We were it's um, a very cool song. Yeah, it was actually very cool because um, they were able to um, rent an old, um, an old amphitheater. That's exactly what it was. An amphitheater, right? Exactly, which, which is from you, Roman times, yeah, I think. Yes, you, usually it's a. Um, it's a museum, and you're not allowed to step in it. But for us, they made an exception, and they um, opened the gates, and they made it possible for us to perform inside of this old place, which is very, yeah, very special. Thousands of a, years old. Exactly. And the only audience in the video were the other performers. Yeah. And it was interesting for me to watch their reactions, um, because they were shown a little bit in the video. Because um, you know, I've, I saw several of your performances, and I thought that was one of your strongest ones. Yeah, I think so as well. And that might be because I like the song in particular. But it, you know, it's it's a great song, and you did a great job performing it. And you could tell on the faces of the other performers that they were who were watching you that they were trying to smile, but simultaneously thinking, "Oh boy, this is going to get tough." <laughs> the, yeah. The the funny thing is, I think. Um, the the funny thing is, I think this was one of my best performances because I had no pressure because it was never my goal to reach the live shows because as soon as you get into the live shows, you get new contracts. And I was afraid that um, I'd have to leave my band because of these contracts. Turns out I didn't have to, but I got kicked out because, um, well, they said that my performance wasn't that good even though they never made a bad comment about it on television because the jury, they liked it. Um, and afterwards, they they they, they um, invited me back to the show because uh, some other um, participant um, got kicked out because they found out he was um, um, sentenced for some kind of uh, violent crime. So yeah, but I think uh, this was one of the best performances, and it was because I was free because I, I knew no I, pressure. I, yeah, I I don't want to go to the live shows anyways because of the contracts. So this is my last shot. This is my last um, time on in, in, on the television, and um, yeah, I was very proud of that. And then um, after that uh, show, COVID was still going on here in Germany. Yes. So it wasn't actually possible to go on tour immediately. But then a little while later, some offers started coming in, didn't they, for you to go on tour in Germany? Well, years ago, like 10 years ago, I think the whole television um, casting show thing was a lot bigger. And back then, the participants, um, after the show was done, they actually had a real 
tour together um, through Germany, maybe even some other countries. Um, nowadays, it's not that much um, of people who would go to such a tour, so therefore they don't make it anymore. But I had some other strange offers coming in. Like, for example, there was one offer from some kind of um, management production, I don't know, um, who tried to um, make up a new band out of two boys who start um, songs um, which are themed. Um, for example, one song is in a cowboy theme and the next one is in a pirate theme, even though it's not, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't meant to be for children, which I would would have understand no it was for adults. young adults and yeah. i was thinking who who's listening to some sort so you told me this this idea came from south korea or something like that i think in south korea this is a concept that works out and i think um some they, production they company thought that if it works in south korea it might yeah. work in germany let's give it a try and let's get dominic zimmon to sing yeah. songs about cowboys and pirates yeah but <laughs> I, i i think it was about that time that i realized That's not what I want to do, and I don't want to be in a, in, in the media for 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 just for being in the media. Yeah. I want to be there. Uh, I I don't even want to be of... there. I, I I want to make music. I want yeah. to be a musician, and I want to um, be there... able to um, pay my bills yes. with music. But I don't want to be a cowboy and a pirate. <laughs> no, no. Johnny Depp does the pirate thing better than anybody else, so we don't need you to do it. Yeah. But it's it's true. The, the media industry is really hard because people come in, production producers come in with these concepts, and then they try to force you yes. into that. Have you and, experienced that as well? Yeah. I, mean, I, I work in the true crime area, and uh, it's definitely true that um, producers come in with something in mind, and then they basically force my story, my life, into that concept to, result, to, to reach a certain result which they think will get a lot of clicks. And um, it doesn't really matter whether the facts support it. They're going to bend your life around to fit their concept. And they, they do that in true crime. And um, they do it in music with you. You know, what a bizarre idea to take uh, a guy from northern Germany who's a, you know, Frankly, you know, you're you're really smart. Mm -hmm. uh, many people don't know that, but Dominic is really smart, mm -hmm. and you're a psychology student. And to have you sing songs about cowboys and pirates is so bizarre. But some some producer thinks that thinks that's a good idea. So let's let's get him to do it. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I don't uh, understand the market as well, uh, or, or not as good as he does. But I don't know. I, I didn't feel like it was the right thing to do for me, and therefore I said no. Yeah. And so, so nowadays, um, I know you're doing a lot of live gigs here in Kiel. Yes. And um, uh, of course, you just completed your bachelor's and you're getting ready for your master's uh, um, program here at, at, at the University of Kiel. Is that right? Yeah, it is. So I... You're I, doing two things and now with yeah, this podcast, I'm, I'm doing you're doing three things. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it may be even more, but um, I feel like... For music, there's always time. It's not like work in any way, even if it's so. Paid. What 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 is more important to you? Um, is it is it performing on stage, or is it actually producing music just for yourself? Uh, could you sit in a basement somewhere and just mm. play guitar for yourself, or do you need an audience? Well, well, well. The re recording thing is something I don't enjoy, to be honest. So I don't enjoy being in the studio for five or six hours trying to sing the same song all over again because you fucked up at some point, uh, be because you messed up at some point. But the live performance can be a little bit overwhelming too because you are nervous sometimes, especially when it's a big one, and you can't really enjoy it. But there are some occasions where you where, where you can enjoy it because it, it may be in front of some people or together with some people. But it's not under pressure. And this is the occasions that I like the most, yeah. It, I had to smile just now because you were talking about sitting in the studio and singing the same song over and over and over again. I'm just going crazy with it. Um, I've just been working on an audio book yeah. um, called Love, Sex, Murder. Mm. Uh, Gotta listen to that. Yeah, it's, it's about the toxic relationship between me and Elizabeth Hasem. And 
Um, so I did a lot of recording for this audio book. And, you know, you have, you misspeak. And then you have to do the whole paragraph over again. Yeah. And so if you misspeak and then you get nervous and you misspeak over and over and over again. And so you end up reading the same paragraph 10 times until you finally get it right. And it drives you bonkers. Yeah. So I know what, what you're talking about with a studio. You, and I guess that the more, more often you play a song, you keep messing up in the same place, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, this also may be some kind of psych, psychology uh, thing that, that the more often you do it, the more nervous or the more tired of the song you get and therefore you can't concentrate anymore. Um, yeah. We're just human beings. We're just human we beings. But um, um, you like p playing for yourself as well without an audience, right? I do so, yeah. I Like I said, like mm, the first seven, eight years, I was only playing for myself because nobody wanted to listen. At some point, this changed. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think if you don't enjoy it, you will not keep on doing it for the time it needs for you to get good. It's interesting. Because for me, um, you know, when, when in my high school bands, you know, we were not good. We were very loud. And that was, you know, more or less a motto. You know, we're not good, but we're loud. <laughs> um, but... Um, um, you know, for me, it was definitely, I like being on stage, but, um, um, you know, this feeling of just losing yourself in the art that you're talking about, you know, sitting by yourself and just playing guitar. Um, I get that from writing, you know, I can lose myself in my little iPad and just, uh, write because writing is my thing. I published six books while I was in prison, but, um, I don't think I ever had that with music specifically. I think with music, I always felt the need for the connection with an audience. And you know, some of my best memories from high school were playing at, at various events. There were school events. We played at a you know, halftime at a basketball <laughs> game and outdoor picnic. And then we played at some parties as well. And I remember one time um, at this party, you know, I would have been 17, um, some girl at the party vomited an R amps no <laughs> yeah we thought we died and gone to heaven we thought this is rock and roll when pretty girls puke on our amplifiers that's rock and roll you know so um <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> but that you know that that's what i enjoyed i i enjoyed that that whole yeah of course you know this is high school this is not like you know what you you've been doing I think you know one of your shows. They had two million viewers. Yes, like like in the live shows where you're on live television, they had these cameras which have a small light on top of it, and as soon as this light turns red, you know that if you look in that camera, it's going to be broadcasted to two million people, and they are going to look you in the eye right now in this moment, which is um, how a does that bit feel? Overwhelming. Well, I think um, does it make you nervous, or does it make you happy, or does it make you excited? Well, it's, I think in the moment, it's a little bit like when you're in the zone. For example, when, you, when you're close to an accident or when you had an accident or whatever, when you're very pumped up with adrenaline and with all sorts of endorphins and you don't really, um, you don't really feel anything a lot. So you just, um, you just try to function and you just try to do what you've rehearsed. And... Um, Afterwards, when you when you're done, when the show is done, when um, when you're back on your way home to the hotel, then suddenly you realize what just happened, and all, all those things um, they 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 start when when the hormones start um, going back and fade out, then you feel so tired and you feel just exhausted, and this keeps on for the next one or two days because. Everything in your body has been um, so pumped up, so yeah. pumped up. All those, you know, all those exactly as you said, endorphins and all, everything else, adrenaline has been pumped into your bloodstream. It's it's interesting for me because what you say, you say that because um, I had a moment just about your age now, um, where um, you know the little light went on on the camera, and I knew that millions of people were watching. For me, that was you know during my testimony at my trial, which was the first televised trial in the East Coast of the United States and only the second one in the entire United States. Mm -hmm. This was five years before O.J. Simpson. And I remember that it was, for me, different circumstances than a, you know, 
uh, uh, you know, a casting show on TV, but it, you know, the, the, the fear, you know, the absolute fear and, and um, the nervousness. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, it, it, I, I can definitely identify with that. Yeah. Did music play a role in your life in prison or in the time where you were sentenced? Um, actually, um, yeah, I mean, music, <laughs> if you want to, uh, talk about, uh, the role of music in my life, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, after this high school phase where, you know, I just had fun with friends playing in bands. Um, I went to the university of Virginia and one of the drummers from my high school band also went to the university of Virginia mm. and we started making plans for, um, you know, a new band, you know, with the two of us. I played guitar, he played drums. And uh, then, um, you know, this relationship began with Elizabeth Hasem. And very quickly, I was put into a position of having to make a choice, more or less. You know, what am I going to focus on in my spare time? Am I going to focus on Elizabeth? Or am I going to focus on the band? And the first of many really lousy decisions I made in that period of my life is that I chose Elizabeth and I didn't choose the drummer. <laughs> always and choose the drummer. Always choose the drummer. <laughs> always choose the drummer. And yeah, so I don't know whether, whether he ever got that band put together, but I know I, I stepped out of that project and focused all my emotional energy on Elizabeth. And then, um, of course, that was a terrible mistake because as we talked about in the last episode you know she never loved me at all it was all fake from the beginning on her part and about three months after the start three and a half months after the start of our relationship um we were in washington dc and earlier i was talking about the shrimp cocktail in the hotel after that uh, after i ordered the room service in the hotel i went to a movie theater that showed the film stranger than paradise And this is like a cult classic now. It's but Jim Jarmusch. It's like a you know, people who are really into cinema um, love this film because um, it's in black and white and it fades between the scenes and stuff like that. Artistic, you know. Um, and the theme song of that film was "I Put a Spell on You" mm. by Screamin' Jay Hawkins, who is you know fantastic artist. But the irony of the whole situation. I was sitting in a theater listening to the song, I Put a Spell on You, while several hundred miles away, um, a terrible crime was happening that ended up destroying my life as well. So, um, it and you know, that song later was covered by Annie Lennox and um, became the theme song of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> so that's uh, another little strange twist to all of that. And um, then, um, about 13, 14 months after the night of the crime, I was interrogated and I gave a false confession. Mm. And we're not going to talk about the crime and the details of all that here, but music played, played a small role in this as well. <laughs> because Elizabeth and I had put together, uh, you know, stories that we would tell the police if we were ever arrested. And these were completely untrue stories. But both of us thought of ourselves as writers and... Um, she claimed to have written a novel, and of course, I was really active in high school journalism and so forth. So we, we thought we were writers. And we designed these lies, this false confession, on both of our parts, uh, using something called telling details. And it's a technique that writers use to make something uh, very persuasive, persuasive, because readers or listeners will um, think that's just so crazy, it's got mm. to be true. Yeah, I've, I think I've heard of that as well. So if you, if, if people try to be good liars, they start to implement things that are a little bit embarrassing into their stories so that um, people who hear it think they are real because you wouldn't um, make up things that are embarrassing for yourself if you are trying to lie. Because why would you make yourself uh, a little bit... Um, make yourself look bad, yeah. yeah. So, so for example, if you are, for example, a cheating husband and you want to um, come up with something that is... Um, Explain why you're coming late. Yeah, then maybe you could include something that's embarrassing. For example, like you stepped in uh, dog poo and I don't know, you tried to get it rid of it, but it didn't work out and now it's 
on your shoes or what, whatever. I don't know. But um, it's an embarrassing detail that you know people who listen to it think that must be the truth. Yeah, because, because it's so embarrassing. And it's well, why? Why would he tell me something embarrassing if it's not real and if it's not part of the real story? Yeah. So um, that's interesting because um, 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 Elizabeth and I both did that in our stories. She included a completely crazy, stupid story about uh, me returning wrapped in a bed sheet, nothing, wearing no clothes, wearing wrapped in a bed sheet, covered with blood. And, you know, it's, that's so crazy, it's got to be true, right? And then she said that she cleaned it all away with Coca-Cola. <laughs> None of this is true, right? I mean, the car was tested with luminol and there was no blood in the car, so it's clearly not true. And there were no Coca-Cola stains in the car either. But when you hear it, you think, yeah, right. Why would she say that he arrived completely naked except for the bed sheet and covered in blood? That's got to be true, right? Yeah. And I included things like that in my false confession as well. I had a, um, one really successful telling detail that really convinced people was that I said that as I was leaving the crime scene, supposedly I drove over a little dog, hit a little dog and killed a little dog. But it's only then that I started crying because you're such a bad killer that um, and when you murder people, it doesn't affect you. And, but as soon as you hit a dog, you start getting emotional or what? Yeah, that's, that's basically, that was, the, that, that was the idea, right? And, um, didn't, there's, didn't. And, and, and there's actually a police officer called Ricky Gardner who to this day is completely convinced that my confession must be true because of this completely fictional story about a little dog being hit. But then shouldn't there be like some dog missing? Of course, there was no dog missing and there was no dog in the road. It's all just made up. But it sounds so good, it's got to be true. Yeah. And getting back to the music thing, another telling detail that I included in my story um, was this, this, this story that on the way back, I, on driving back on the radio, I listened to the song Psycho Killer mm. by the Talking Heads, mm -hmm. right? And at that time, um, you know, they, uh, this was in the mid-1980s, you know, there was this thing going around in the culture that, you know, rock and roll is, you know, making our kids do bad things, right? So I thought I would include this story about, you know, uh, the, the song Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads, but only after this horrible crime had, uh, happened. But people still believed it. Even though, even though the song came afterwards, they still believed it. And um, It's a little bit like a movie scene where you're driving back from your crime and then the right song at the right time yeah. gets in. And it's just, it never happened, but people believed it anyway because you get this feeling, oh God, that's so crazy, it's got to be true, right? Yeah. Um, so, and then of course, um, I spent three years, eight months fighting extradition and came back to the United States in 1990, was convicted. And then I came to my first American prison. And, um, and one of the things that is not really known about prison life by outsiders is that in every day room, there's a big TV and it's always on, it's never turned off. And it's always turned to BET, Black Entertainment Television. Mm. And it's always playing rap music all the time around the clock and you never get away from it and it's always full blast. So it's really kind of, no matter how much you might like rap, if that's the only thing you hear all day long, it really, it's, it, in effect, it's a kind of torture. Yeah. I think they actually torture people um, with music. For in, example, I think they did so in Guantanamo. And in Abu Ghraib as well. That's correct. Oh. I think they used um, heavy metal, not hip-hop. I also seen an interview of Chad Smith from the Wet Hot Chili Peppers, the drummer, um, who told um, the interviewer that he heard that in Guantanamo they torture people with Red Hot Chili Peppers songs. Which is crazy because I cannot imagine like this being a torture. But I think no matter what song, no matter what band or what genre, as soon as you hear it for 12, 13 hours and uh, you start being sleep deprived and everything, every single kind of music and noise will become a torture. Mozart will do that. If that's all you're hearing, 24 hours, full blast, no escape. Yeah. And, you know, I... I, I 
I, um, I went to a very expensive private high school <laughs> in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, but I was into Grandmaster Flash when Grandmaster Flash was just starting, right? Because I, I thought that made me cool. Um, you know, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, oh. several years later, um, um, uh, you know, not being able to get away from the music was really hard. But that's a part of prison life that very few people know about. And, um, of course, we were allowed to have, back then, Walkman, cassette mm -hmm. players, because the funny thing about prison life in those 30 years that I was gone um, was that um, we were always one technological revolution behind everybody else. In the 1990s, everybody was switching to CDs, but in prison, we stayed with tapes because uh, the, the guards thought you could break a CD and then use half of a CD as a weapon, mm. right? So by the end of the 1990s, music wasn't being released anymore on cassettes. So they had to allow CDs. But that was just right around the time when people started switching to MP3s. And so the, in the 2000s, the same thing happened again. Everybody in prison had CDs, but in the outside world, there were fewer and fewer and fewer CDs being released until by the end of that decade, they had to switch again and they had mm -hmm. to let us have MP3 players um, because, yeah, you know, but we were always 10 years behind uh, the outside world as far as the technology was concerned. So except for the, um, for, for the rap in, the, in these big rooms out of the big televisions, you were able to hear your own music? Yeah, and you had to turn it up really high to drown out the rap, yeah. right? Okay. And that's, so you, a lot of people in prison you see walking around with their headphones on mm. um, because they're trying to drown out Yeah, the I noise can understand. Pollution. I mean, maybe you can some kind of uh, um, get yourself into another world um, through music. Yeah, for me, um, I, there were two things going on at that time. The first one was... Um, in the early 1990s, there was a big change in, the, in U.S. politics and U.S. culture. There was the crack epidemic at the late 1980s and into the early 1990s, and this led to an increase in the crime rate and law and order politics, tough on crime politics. Um, and this was all led by uh, Bill Clinton. He was, he was a moving force behind all of this. And um, to put some numbers on this, At the beginning of the 1990s, there were 1.1 million prisoners in the United States. And at the end of the 1990s, there were 2 million prisoners in the United States. So the number almost doubled. Wow. And this was all because of these law and order policies that were being pushed by Bill and Hillary Clinton both while they were in the White House. And that, that, that basically meant that hundreds of thousands, mostly young African-American men, were put away you know, for really questionable reasons, whether that was really necessary is really questionable. And it destroyed the black community, the African-American community in the United States, losing so many young men in the prime of their life. And, you know, prison destroys people. Prison does not yeah. make people better. And um, that was a horrible thing going on in the 1990s in the United States. But at the very beginning of the 1990s, there was still a little bit of humanity left as they were phasing this out, you know, and the phasing in the tough on crime stuff. So there was a couple of years, actually, in the early 1990s, where I could have an electric guitar mm. and a little headphone app and some headphones. And I had this phase where I was really in a muddy waters and yeah. blues, really old, crunchy blues, right? Um, <laughs> um, so you were able to play yes, music again. I was able to play music again for a couple of years, but I found that I missed the audience part. And um, so um, after a couple of years, I gave it up and decided to start writing books. And I ended up having six books published while I was in prison. But before I started writing, I actually had this phase of the music yeah. in prison. But for me, um, it's like writing books without readers wouldn't make sense. I like writing, and it's, you know, but I would like for my writing to be read as well. Mm. And the same was with the music. I really playing for myself on the headphones, you know, I, it, it didn't, I, I didn't feel, 
I got anything out of that, so I gave that up. That's interesting because um, I feel like for me, it's a very intimate thing to make music on my own, um, to make it just for me. So it's a little bit special in that way because um, most of the time when I make music, it's for other people and it's for the people um, who came to the concert or whatever. And there's only very few time where I take the time and where I have the time to make music just for me. So it's not rehearsing stuff that I got to play soon or it's, um, I don't know, uh, recording cover songs or whatever or making new music on my own. It's just playing what I want to play right now just for me. And these moments, they're very, very rare and therefore very special to me. It's interesting. So, for you know, I was going to ask you this um, uh, earlier, But maybe this is a good time to ask this, because you, you're talking about these special, precious moments when you're playing just for yourself. Um, are there ever any times for you where music is painful or where music hurts? Is there anything like that ever with you? I think right now there isn't, because I didn't make experiences that were that bad that I can link to these songs. But I think actually there is some kind of music that I used to at least get myself in a mood that was not um, very happy. So do you know the Smiths? Yes. Um, I, I think they have a lot of songs that are very um, miserable and um, they are kind of um, pity for themselves. Yes. Or for the singer himself. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So there was a time in my um, early college years where I was in a relationship that didn't uh, really uh, work out. And um, I used to listen to the Smiths and they sang, for example, you just haven't earned it yet, baby, if you're wondering <laughs> why. All the love that you long for eludes you. And so they, they somehow sing it in a happy way, but the lyrics are very... Yeah. Um, This is something I can relate to. That's really funny. Um, um, I, I can really relate to that. Um, God. Um, in, in the last episode about love, mm -hmm. we were talking about, I, I was telling you about how for about 15 years, I really lost myself in self-hatred. Yes. And really, it, it, you know, it, it became kind of sick, you know, how much I hated myself. And um, especially in the second half of the 1990s, especially then, I started using music specifically to sort of hurt myself emotionally, right? To torture myself. Um, I remember Rod Stewart, the first cut is the deepest. Mm -hmm. And then Torch songs, which are, I can't remember now, whether they're from 1920s or the 1950s. There's songs about carrying the torch for somebody, somebody who's left you. Unhappy Love and like Nina Simone, um, Solitude, you know, was a song I remember specifically. And I did this, you know, basically knowingly, intentionally. Mm. Uh, I would use these songs to make myself feel miserable um, over ha having fallen in love with the wrong woman who never loved me at all and destroying my life and uh, sitting in prison. And um, yeah, it's... Um, so, yeah, for me, that was one of the few ways I could get access to my emotions, actually. Okay, so you rather felt um, miserable and uh, self-pity instead of nothing? Um, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it, it's basically what happened. Was, I mean, in, in the last episode, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, in prison, emotions are uh, dangerous because mm -hmm. if you show emotion other prisoners will interpret that as weakness. And so they will, uh, yeah, prey on you if, if you show any kind of emotional side and you have to push down your emotions and, you know, and, and, and keep it hidden. And well, may, Maybe except for anger and hatred? Yeah, yeah, sure. But so these manly emotions, they are allowed? Yeah, yeah, but actually in long-term prisons, you have to keep those under control as well. Okay. That's something that happens in county jails. But when you come into a long-term facility, um, at least that's the way it was in the 1990s and into the 2000s, um, um, people were very controlled because they knew, you know, there's no way out. I'm going to have to live with these people, not just for years, for decades. 
So I cannot afford to get angry over every little thing. And, um, you know, one of the strange things was that, especially long-term prisoners back then, was that they were in some ways extremely polite because mm. you, you didn't want to give anybody an opportunity to, you know, lose control and freak out. So um, it was, <laughs> but that only applies to long-term prisoners, yeah. uh, not to short-term prisoners and certainly not to county jails. Um, yeah, so um, that was this self-hatred thing. And, and it, it became so bad. Uh, in 1999, I was transferred to a Supermax and ended up getting shot there with a rubber bullet and stuff like that. Um, and the depression was getting worse and the self-hatred was getting worse. And then I started uh, meditating mm. to deal with that. And I ended up meditating for almost 10 years, really intensively. And actually my first book, um, The Way of the Prisoner, uh, was about meditation because it, that was the big turning point for me. I was able to let go of the self-hatred largely, not completely. Um, but I also decided that time not to listen to any music at all anymore um, because I felt that would draw me back into the self-hatred. So there's actually the entire 2000s, right? I did not listen to any music at all, mm. none, which is you know strange for you to sit across from me here at the table. You know, you're 24. Imagine not listening to any music from 14 till today. That's crazy. But I mean, you did it by choice. Yes. It's not that somebody took that away. It's yourself who decided you wouldn't do it anymore. And, and I felt I had to in order to not go crazy with self-hatred. I mean, when you say that you used it for these um, negative emotions to, um, to feel them, um, maybe it's, it's a way of protecting yourself okay, then I'm not listening to music at all. Um, That's if exactly if right. it's only um, getting me those bad emotions. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and I was, you know, at the same time meditating and trying to find some inner peace. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that, um, you know, putting distance between myself and these negative emotions would help me find that inner peace. And to a large extent, I did. Uh, and then after 10 years, um, I stopped meditating because I ended up losing my faith. Mm. I did not meditate in a sort of Buddhist framework or kind of spiritual framework. I, I meditated within a Catholic framework, um, you know, I contemplative know. prayer, contemplative prayer is what it's called. And back then they had this movement in, in, in the U.S. with Father Thomas Keating, who actually ended up being a friend of mine and visited me in prison. Um, um, called centering prayer, you know, and, and I, I, the idea behind this was to sensitize Christians to the idea that there is a meditative tradition in the Catholic church, in the Christian church, and you don't have to become a Buddhist to meditate. You can meditate as a Catholic or a Protestant. And I did that for 10 years, and then I lost my faith, and I gave up meditation And I started listening to music again. <laughs> and the first th one of the first bands I ran across was uh, your favorite, Linkin Park. Oh, yeah. But only the first album, Hybrid Theory. I think that's one of their best. Yes, it is. It's, it's absolutely awesome. Did you ever seen them or another band live that you really enjoyed? Um, they didn't sh you know, show live concerts like that on TV in prison. Um, um, you know, it's, it, they, they only have the basic TV channels um, in prison. They don't, if, 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 the, if, if Linkin Park ever did a, a, a concert, um, it would have been on pay TV, I assume. I don't know whether they ever did that, but it would have been on pay TV and we didn't have access to pay TV. We just had the basic channels. Um, but I listened to Linkin Park and I listened, I listened to John Mayer. I admit it. Um, still love John Mayer, can't help it. Um, <laughs> And I listened to his ex-girlfriend, uh, Taylor Swift, who is not bad at all, uh, even though, you know, a little bit of stress between John and Taylor. Mm. But, um, uh, you know, her, her song, Getaway Car, you know, I, I absolutely love that. It's, uh, it's, uh, there are certain ironic parallels to my life in the song, Getaway Car. Um, so, I, you know, that's what I listened to for the last 10 years in prison, stuff like... Uh, Linkin Park and John Mayer and a little bit of Taylor Swift. 
So it was a little bit like um, having a, a, a normal relationship to music again. Yes. After 10 years of music as self-hatred and then 10 years of not listening to music at all. That's right. And then for 10 years, I had a more or less normal relationship to music. And back then, I worked out like a freaking maniac. Uh, I, I really worked out very, very hard. And um, Linkin Park is really great for working out. Yes, I, I, I do this as well. I mean, I, <laughs> I work out as well. Um, I used to um, hear a lot of metal and stuff. Now, right, right now, I like hearing um, like, like techno, like, do you know Scooter, H.P. Baxter? No. Um, they are, he's, he's a funny I'll German dude who's, uh, who's, who's making techno music, um, which you can really, um, yeah. You'll have to hook me up because, uh, you know, it, it, I really want to check that out um, because, um, you know, I, for one thing, I need to get really back to working out. Lately, I've been working so hard that I haven't had time to work out, but I need to get back into it. But then something happened again with me and music, and I got released in December 2019. And after 10 years of a more or less normal relationship with music in prison, you know, on one of the first three or four days after leaving prison, um, I, I listened to music and I started to cry mm. so much. And, um, you know, I'm, I Special cry... songs? I, cry, I was going to say, I cry easily anyway, right? Yeah. I mean, this is one of the big deep secrets we're revealing on this podcast and nobody else... Well, Jens I do so Zering. as well. <laughs> you as well, yeah? yeah. Especially <laughs> when, when it's about the right songs at the right time. It gets me emotional. Yeah. Like out of a... Um, it's, it's, it's not even... What I'm thinking about something. It's just like, like, like a reaction, like a reflex um, to some songs that just burn into my head. And I understand that completely. I really get it because that's the way it is for me. And the, the thing is that has not really declined. It hasn't gotten easier or, or less so over the last four years. I've been out of prison for four years now. And it's still, um, you know, so, you know, that when I listen to music, not absolutely every time, but I would say three quarters or more of the time, I will start crying. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, I don't know exactly why that is. You know, there's certain songs that, trigger me, you know, um, Kiss Me by Three Pence and None the Richer, um, um, which is about, you know, innocent love, which, of course, I never had. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it's connected to my crazy life. Um, but, yeah, so that that's... Um, uh, since my release from um, prison... Music for me is often connected to tears, mm -hmm. but I mean, and, and then of course we met through music because uh, this is one of the times where I didn't cry. But <laughs> we have mutual not friends. Yet. Yeah, that's right. Not yet. Um, we have mutual friends. Uh, you live in Kiel, yes. uh, which is a city in northern Germany, um, and they own a really cool bar. And this is advertising. If you ever come to Kiel in northern Germany, you must go to the D.O. Wine Bar on the Hollenauerstrasse. Yeah, it is really cool, and they have great South African wine. And Dominic plays there once in a while. And that's how I met him. I came in the door, and there was Dominic um, playing, and he was really cool. Yeah, thanks. And I, I knew you before because I saw on one of your um, TikToks um, about you and your case. And I was very interested back then. It was probably a year before we met. And so at some point you just uh, stumbled into that bar and I saw you and I was a little bit like, oh, I do know him. And then I remembered why I know you. And yeah, at, at some point you requested a song. I'm not sure if I could play it or not, but then we... Um, I think it was Johnny Cash Hurt. Probably. I, I was thinking maybe this is a song that was special to you in prison or something sure. because I mean it's a very very sad song and it's, yes. it's 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 like the Smiths in a way it's a lot about um yes. city or whatever I didn't know that this was a cover I thought that the um, version of Johnny Cash was the original but it isn't I did not know it's a cover um I, I, I thought it was the original well well I 
I'm pretty sure the original one is from Nine Inch Nails. Okay. Um, and it's a little bit more weird, I would say. But, well, I'm, I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, I'm very, I'm very glad that um, we met there. And then I remember um, after that, you played um, Hotel California. And um, that is a song that has, a, a, at least where I was in prison, when, when anybody played Hotel California, uh, you know, when it came on anywhere, um, there, there's a particular line in there that all of us identified with. You, know? you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. You know, we all thought, oh, yeah, the song's about prison because mm-hmm. you know, we can check out any time we like, but we can never leave, right? So, yeah. It, um, yeah. But um, you know, that was in, in, in places like that, you play covers, but I know you also... Uh, 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 do concerts where you play original music with your band, and um, I have not yet actually made it to one of your mm. band concerts. I've been to several of your solo performances, but not yet to your band uh, concerts. I, I really want to do that. Um, maybe a time in my life which is not quite as crazy as the current days. I think maybe this winter we are going to make another concert just on our own, so mm-hmm. we are going to organize everything. It's not, um, it's not anything. So nobody dictates what we have to do or how long we have to play or whatever. Maybe, um, may- maybe we'll uh, meet there. Oh, we will. Oh, we will. If you, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it. Um, then, then you can also meet my band members. Yes, <laughs> yes. I really, I, I really want to do that. Yeah. I really want to do that. So Jens, I think we're coming to an end soon. Um, Has there's... it already been an hour? Yeah, Time flies with you, Dominic. Thank you. Um, um, I think there's one more question I wanted to ask you. Um, imagine if you didn't meet Elizabeth Hasem and if you probably formed the band together with your drummer um, from the college. Do you think you would have been a musician by now? Or would you at least have a band or whatever? Um, I doubt I would have been a musician. Um, I I love performing, but that's not where my talent is focused. Um, I I can well imagine that I would have continued playing music uh, as a hobby if I had not gone not gone to prison. Hopefully, probably throughout my life, because I love music and I love playing guitar. And um, you know, it's it's, but but doing what you do, doing it professionally. I don't have that talent. Um, so, um, unfortunately not. Unfortunately not. <laughs> but maybe, well, maybe you would have had at least some very cool memories back from your time with your drummer well, and the band. And I mean, probably that, you have some now. Yes, I mean, I have some good memories from the band in high school. But uh, the fact is, you know, I went to prison when I was 19 and I was released when I was 53. Yeah. So there's, you know, um, a lot of memories, good and bad, that I just didn't have because I was shut away in a place that can really be described as hell on earth. And um, yeah, I mean, memories of, you know, relating to music um, would have been nice to have. But, you know, I could have conceivably in another life Know, have had better relationships with girls. Mm-hmm. I could have finished my education. I could have gotten a job. All the things that a normal life entails, which I did not have um, because I made some really horribly bad and wrong decisions um, back in 1985 and 1986. And um, yeah, destroyed my own life out of what I thought was love. Maybe you can make some good experiences now with music. I mean, you're um, young enough to go to concerts, to enjoy everything, and you probably have a lot of years left for maybe seeing some of these bands you told me today, um, to see them live in concert. I remember, you know, I spent so many decades in prison. I think at least three times the Rolling Stones announced their final tour <laughs> while I was in prison. And every time I sat in prison, I thought, oh my God, I'm in prison. I cannot go to the final concert of the Rolling Stones. 
And then a few years later, they would again do another final tour, yeah. and then they would do another final tour. And by this time now, unfortunately, Charlie Watts has died. Yeah. So it's, not, it's no longer possible. But that's something that I would really like. That's, that's, that's on my bucket list. I don't really have a bucket list. But if I had a bucket list, uh, seeing the Rolling Stones would be right near the top. I need to see the Rolling Stones live before I die. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's maybe something you can... I'll write Mick Jagger. Yeah, you should. <laughs> Jens, thanks a lot for today. Thanks a lot for having the time to talk about this very, very emotional and very, very cool topic. Thank you for sharing your memories and sharing your experiences on the big stage. Um, and all the very best of luck to you as you expand your career and uh, make more people happy with your music. Yeah. I think next week we probably have a little bit of a surprise for you, for your listeners. Yes. Um, Next week is the big surprise show. Everybody buckle down. mm -hmm. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to get wild next week. We are looking forward to see you here again. And we want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Till next week. Bye.